boy who asked the question of his mom, is it true that we are all made from dust and that when we die we will become dust again? Yes, that's, that's right, she said. And he said, well, then upstairs under my bed someone's either coming or going. <laughs> <laughs> our all right. Well, last week many celebrated the fact that it was the 500th anniversary uh, of the Reformation that began in Germany with Martin Luther. And the reason there even needed to be a Reformation is actually seen in our study today. Because in the centuries that followed the early church, there was a failure to obey the command of verse 2 in our chapter today. Timothy, to entrust the truth of Scripture to faithful men who will be able to teach others one generation after the other. And when this fails to happen, error creeps into the church and it just perpetuates more error and more error. You saw last week that Paul emphasized to Timothy not to be ashamed of taking a stand for Christ, to be courageous and follow the example of Paul in guarding the treasure and teaching of God's word. So in chapter 2, Paul continues to exhort and encourage Timothy to be strong, to be faithful, and be willing to suffer hardship for Christ. The same command to Timothy is so greatly needed for the Church of Christ today and for each of us who make up the body of Christ. Each of us needs to be actively passing on the truth of God's word to the next generation so that they'll be ready to take over as we leave the scene. So we first begin with the duties of a faithful minister. Be strong and be faithful to each others. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is telling his beloved son in the faith to be strengthened by God. And the truth is that we're not only saved by grace, but that's how we live, by grace. To be strong means a believer avails themselves of the resources that God has provided, which is his word and the study of his word and prayer and fellowship with other believers and then walking in obedience to the things that you learn. As Timothy, and by application us, do these things, we are strengthened by God's grace. And when believers are disobedient, we don't even realize necessarily that that's when we are getting weaker spiritually. Strength comes from Christ as we obey him. Every believer needs this kind of strength in order to pass on truth to others. And obviously, Paul is addressing Timothy as a young pastor, but the principle is the same for every believer who walks in obedience. In verse 2, Paul really gives the golden truth of discipleship. He isn't talking about preaching from a pulpit here in this context, but rather he's making a reference to individual one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Paul wants Timothy to transmit truth to the next generation by teaching individual faithful future leaders. Paul had taken what was entrusted to him and passed it on to Timothy, he says, in the presence of many witnesses. There were many who could confirm that what Paul taught was the revelation from God. And Paul tells Timothy to entrust these truths to faithful men. In other words, take what Paul deposited to Timothy, and now Timothy is to deposit it into the life of others. Be a steward of the spiritual treasures God's given you in his word, and then guard that deposit and actually invest it in the lives of other people. Paul is speaking here about really a systematic training of church leaders reserved for faithful men, gifted by God. And then they are to share the word with the next generation of believers. 
The female counterpart, I think, to this passage would be Titus 2, where older women are to teach younger women by passing on truths to them that they have learned about how to love your husband, how to love your children, how to be a keeper at home, how to have an effective ministry as a woman. Notice Timothy is to pass the truth on to faithful men, those loyal to the word of God, those reliable, those trustworthy, those committed to following scripture. Paul knew his life was going to end soon, and he wanted to make sure that before he left, he was leaving the church and the next generation in good hands. Wherever you attend church, you understand that one day, your spiritual leaders, your pastors, your elders, they're all going to be gone from the scene. This is why leadership training must be an ongoing process so that leaders will be able to teach others also and pass on truth to others. This is God's plan for the church, to stay pure and to maintain purity of the word of God as it faithfully is passed on to others. Leadership in the local church requires that men who are gifted by God are able to teach and therefore are to be a steward of the word of God and the truths taught faithfully. And the same principle is to be followed by every one of us as believers. We are to be a part of a local church where godly elders are equipping believers through the teaching of the word. And then we are to help, in turn, fellow believers grow in understanding of the truth and applying it in everyday life. None of us are pastors of a local church. However, we are all commanded to invest our lives in others. And this requires strength that can only come from God's grace. And, you know, it is true as whether you're a parent to be faithfully passing on these truths to your children, whether you're a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, or simply a friend coming alongside a friend to help them grow in the truth. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, be willing to suffer hardship in ministry. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love this, these three pictures that Paul presents of the Christian life. Paul understood a great deal about Roman soldiers. It was a military state, Rome ruled, and Paul, the last part of his life, spent a whole lot of time in the presence of soldiers. So here he speaks of devotion and dedication that's required in the life of a soldier. They experience hardship and suffering. And when a person enlists in the military, it's not to have a vacation. It's not to see the world. It's not to have a life of luxury. You don't go to war sitting in your comfortable chair or in your bed. Going into any ministry, like serving in the military, requires the same dedication of a soldier, enduring in the midst of even on very unpleasant circumstances. Like a soldier who's dedicated to their commanding officer, he does what he's commanded to do. Nobody in the military can say, mm, I don't think so. I'm going to do this instead. I mean, you have to take orders and learn how to take orders. When entering the service for Christ, Jesus is the commander. He demands wholehearted devotion. He is our authority. There must not be distractions from the demands for serving Christ. Paul says a soldier doesn't get entangled while he's made his commitment to serve as a soldier. The soldier is not to have a sword entangled in his robe in the heat of battle. Yet how many Christians become entangled in so many other things, whether it's the pursuit of money, 
being entertained, making sure I have recreation or business or even family, leaving them then unable to focus on what really matters in being a soldier for Christ. This passage is directed to Timothy as a pastor, but how easy it is for a pastor to become so entangled in so many things that they neglect their first responsibility, which is teaching the word of God with clarity. The application, though, is for each one of us as well, that we are all to be soldiers for Christ. We are all in a spiritual warfare, whether we like it or not. And pleasing our commander must be of first importance to us. We can become so distracted with other pursuits, even things that are good pursuits. But if they lead us to neglect our first priority and obeying our commander, then we have to get things realigned in our lives. And hardship and self-sacrifice is always a part of any battle. And all of us are in a spiritual battle. Paul now turns to the world of competitive sports to remind Timothy of self-discipline and sacrifice that is required if you're going to compete in any athletic event. To win any competition requires training and playing by the rules. This has the idea of a great struggle and great determination required for an athlete to win. The emphasis in this verse is a little different from the metaphor Paul used in 1 Timothy 1 to fight the good fight. Timothy must have wholehearted devotion to his task and discipline his body while serving the Lord. Paul develops the same thought in 1 Corinthians 9.24. I love that my life. Give myself a black eye lest I be disqualified for, for ministry. The rules that we are to follow require us to keep our body under subjection, denying our body the things it may want. I mean, any good athlete, you know, we love to watch the Olympics. I love to watch it. You know, we see what has been years of preparation and self-denial. Years of not eating dessert, not staying up late to watch whatever. It's years of getting up at 4 a.m. to go to the practice of whatever type of uh, competition it is. Serving Jesus in the same way demands discipline, which means you have to push yourself to do things and then refuse to listen to how you're feeling at a particular time. So many Christians, whether in leadership or not, fail because they do not have discipline in their lives. There are rewards awaiting the faithful servants of Christ. Therefore, we keep pressing on, even if we are weary in well-doing. Serving Christ in any capacity always requires discipline and the refusal, many times, of listening to how you feel. I can guarantee that the moment you commit to serve the Lord in some capacity or some ministry, events of that day, events of that week, are going to come about so that you're going to justify why you can stay home and you can't go do that thing you committed to do. Discipline demands that you work to meet the goal, regardless of the challenges that come up against you. You can't wait till you feel like doing what you are supposed to do in the Christian life. So what about you when you think about these two metaphors? Are you a devoted uh, soldier to your commander? Is that your first priority? Or do you just take the commands that are convenient for you to follow? And have you become entangled in life's activities that keep you from being the kind of soldier Jesus requires? Absolute commitment to authority. And when it comes to the disciplines of the Christian life, are you, like an athlete, self-sacrificing, determined to compete and win an Olympic event? You have to have a lot of drive to do that. These pictures that Paul's painting for us, I find very convicting. Uh, there's a place to have rest and relaxation and recovery, but that should not be the mainstream of our life. It should, we should need rest and recovery because of our extreme devotion and our service for Christ. That is to be our way of life. 
To be out serving on a weeknight when you'd rather be home vegetating on a couch requires a discipline that's seen in the life of a soldier or the life of an athlete. The last metaphor is the diligent farmer. The Christian servant is, a har- is to be hard working like a farmer. A soldier may get recognition as a hero in a given situation, and an athlete may get a tro- trophy or a prize for an event they won. But a farmer, their work is simply hard work, routine, and toil to the point of exhaustion. The word in Greek for hardworking means to work until you are exhausted. There's no glamour in being a farmer. It is a work that requires getting up early. It is a continuous routine day after day that is often very difficult. And weather doesn't make any difference. The work must be done. The farmer is the first to receive his crops, Paul says. There is a fruit for those who work hard. Proverbs talks about the sluggard who is lazy and has no fruit because they didn't do any work for the crops. In the same way as a farmer who works so hard, those who toil in serving their Lord must work with the maximum effort and toil. We must exert ourselves for Christ. And obviously this is not to earn any salvation. That is a gift. But this is what working out our salvation is. This is why we were created for good works prepared beforehand for us to do. Like a farmer up early in the morning, whether it's cold or raining or planting in awful weather, we are to always give our best effort in our serving Christ. The believer who labors diligently will bear fruit. In verse 7, Paul tells Timothy and us to consider or think over and reflect on what's just been illustrated and apply it to your life. So again, I ask you, are you devoted like a soldier? Is he your master commander? Are you disciplined in your daily routine like an athlete, denying your flesh? Are you diligent and are you hardworking like a farmer? These truths are to be the reality and every spiritual leader, as well as every believer in the church being taught by the spiritual leaders. Beware of the influence of our culture, which we can get so easily sucked into. I've earned nothingness. I've earned that I have my own special space and time for me. And uh, those things can overshadow your service and your sacrifice for Christ if you believe that. So our supreme example to endure is Jesus himself. Endure hardship like Jesus, Paul tells Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. The thought here is keep remembering Jesus. In order to be steadfast, especially when you're suffering, we must remember him and all that he has said and all that he has done. It is possible to get so busy serving the Lord that we actually do forget him. Jesus walked on this earth and suffered so much opposition and death, and Timothy uh, is told, remember Jesus as risen from the dead, the seed of David. So Jesus is alive right now, and Paul's reminding Timothy, he will sustain you, and he will sustain you sitting here today. Remember, your victorious Savior. As the seed of David, he is the Messiah. He is the heir of all the promises God made to David. He is the one who reigns. He is seated right now in glory on his Father's throne, and he will come again, and he will reign over this world. Such basic yet critical reminders that we all really need to remember. He is alive. He can sustain you. He will help you in any affliction and trial that you face. Often we know that's true, but we live as if we're all alone, and we have to figure everything out for ourselves. 
we must put into practice a conscious awareness of Christ's presence moment by moment throughout the day. Timothy needed to know that regardless of how difficult it may get for him in ministry, he was never alone. That's Satan's lie. Nobody knows what you're suffering. Blah, blah, blah. That's how he gets us defeated. As believers, we can endure hardship and suffering as long as we keep remembering that Jesus is sovereign Lord. He is God. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Lord that both good and ill go forth? Lamentations 3.32. So remember that. He's in charge of every situation and every event that he allows in your life. How we think about Jesus really affects our ability to persevere, especially when you determine to do some ministry for him. This risen Jesus is fully aware of all that you're facing today and what's going to happen when you walk out the door. How many people quit ministry or quit serving in a particular ministry or in a church just because difficulties come, criticisms come, and they always do, and they fail to remember who it is they're serving? Next, Paul reminds Timothy of another motivation to endure suffering. He says, the power of the gospel message. He's according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not in prison. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Paul found himself in prison. We've, we've studied him before in Colossians. There's a different setting of house arrest. This is not a house arrest. Now he's in a dungeon. Now he's chained up uh, because he proclaimed the gospel. The only other time this word criminal is used is in the New, in the New Testament. is in reference to the two thieves on either side of Jesus on the cross. Paul was now being treated like a murderer, an evil criminal, and though he was completely innocent. And while Paul was now imprisoned in this awful setting in a dungeon, the gospel was never imprisoned. The gospel is so powerful, and it is the method God uses to bring his elect to salvation. Therefore, Paul endured all these hardships gladly. If your family mocks you, if people where you work speak badly about you because you're a narrow bigot for your faith, um, it is worth the sacrifice because somewhere, someone may come to faith because of your speaking out. No suffering's in vain when we suffer for Christ. The power of Christ is in the word, and if you suffer for believing his word and telling others about it, you can endure. Why? For if we die with him, we will also live with him. Mm -hmm. This is a trustworthy statement. You see the same truth in Romans 6, the picture of dying with Christ when we're placed into his body in Colossians 2. The, the picture really of a baptism uh, into the body of Christ is seen in water baptisms as we go down into the waters. We die with him and then we raise up with him as well, the moment of our salvation, believing the gospel. It would seem Paul is speaking um, in verse 22 about being martyred. Timothy can abandon himself to Christ and be determined to do his will knowing the promise of the glory that awaits. If we endure, we will reign with him. All Christians will suffer. Not all will be required to lay down their lives as martyrs. But all believers can endure knowing what awaits us in the future, reigning with Christ. How amazing. Those who deny Christ refers here to the permanent and willful refusal to acknowledge Christ as Lord. This is not speaking about a temporary failure to make the most of a witnessing opportunity. This is a forsaking Christ because of persecution. 
a profession of faith has been made, but it's superficial, just like the seed that never took root in that parable. Those loyal to Christ will be rewarded in glory, and unbelievers will be punished. And I love this verse. If we are faithless, and we are, he will remain faithful. Speaks of a true believer here. They may, We may have a lapse in our faith, um, but Christ will never disown us. He can't disown his own. Aren't you thankful that Christ's love and faithfulness to his own is not based on our faithfulness to him? What a gift. One encouragement to Timothy to keep on faithfully doing the work God's called you to do. No matter what may come, one day you'll be with Jesus and you'll be reigning with him in glory forever. Any good soldier of Christ can endure hardship for a season, knowing the glory that awaits. This isn't the long deal. This is the brief. The long term is in our future. Timothy's responsibility then, he's exhorted to deal with error. Warn others not to argue about words, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. Paul wants to make sure that Timothy and other faithful men in Ephesus are steadfast in teaching others the truth of God's word. Even if opposition is all around them, the power of God's word and the future reign of the risen Christ needs to stay their focus. They would be tempted to get off track from teaching God's word to get sucked in and involved with all of this foolish, empty talk. The idea is to the, a dispute of words. It's empty, godless chatter. A leader in the church or any ministry work that you're involved in must not spend your time dialoguing and debating over speculations, which scripture is silent. Why? Because it's useless to waste your time and it leads to the ruin of those who hear. Because it's in the setting of this kind of empty chat, uh, chatter where there's no conclusions, only myths and discussions. In this case, it was about genealogies. I don't think we have big discussions about that. I don't. I don't know anybody talking about that. But certainly things about future events to come when scripture's silent on it, and people are, and this really means this, and these numbers mean this, and if you add and multiply, all that kind of secret coded nonsense. New believers, untaught believers, can get sucked into this and harm greatly. It has the idea of creating a catastrophe in the life of those listening. So often doubts will arise from these kind of discussions, and then more errors introduced, and people go after the sensational and after the spectacular rather than the clear, ongoing teaching of Scripture. The danger is real when false teaching replaces truth. Another responsibility is seen in verse 15. Work to be approved by God. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. The emphasis in this verse tells Timothy, exert yourself, do your best, be diligent to present uh, an approved worker before God. Every spiritual leader one day is going to stand before the Lord and have their labor inspected. Not for, how, not for numbers, but for faithfulness and purity. What must be most important is the approval of God, not what people think. And what will God be inspecting? To see if his word was handled with accuracy. Literally, it means to cut straight. A godly leader works with great diligence and discipline, so they handle the word with accuracy, making it easy for people to hear and understand and follow and obey. He warns Timothy that there are no, there's no time to fight over speculations and theories, but spend your time making sure you accurately handle God's word. Cut it straight. 
and walk away from error. Avoid uh, worldly and empty chatter. Choose to walk away. Don't get sucked into those battle of words. Why? Because it leads to ungodly behavior. What you believe determines how you behave. And this kind of error corrupts the whole church. It spreads like a cancer or gangrene. And we really must look at error and see it for the dangerous poison that it is. I know people don't like to have names mentioned of famous Bible uh, teachers on TV and radio, but the truth is many of them are just promoting such error and such, it's, it's wicked and it's a poison and it's dangerous and it has to be pointed out because like cancer, it's never dormant. It just keeps growing and spreading till it can destroy an entire local church body. Paul mentions two men to illustrate the danger of false teaching in verses 17 and 18. And their false teaching had to do with the resurrection, that it already happened, or that it wasn't literal, it was just spiritual. These men went astray from the truth, and they ended up bringing great harm to others. And when we look at our world and the Christian culture we're living in today, as I said, we can see how error has been perpetuated through the centuries, really, so that people think that they are right with God, because they do these things, they're part of this denomination, they don't do these things, and so all is well. And the truth is they're lost in the void of the truth of the gospel message. But thankfully, Christ continues, in spite of all that, to build his church, and it continues to grow, even though false teachers try to eat away at people with their false religion and erroneous teaching. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The firm foundation God stands uh, having this seal. As you saw, uh, you probably know, a seal was a mark of ownership, like a builder would put their name in a cornerstone of the building he built. And we have, as believers are God's building. We are his church, and he has stamped his seal on us. We belong to him. Error may come, but Christ holds on to his own in his sovereign power for all of eternity. Those who are his own are to abstain from wickedness, Believers are bought with a price, therefore we're to glorify God in our bodies. So the seals are a witness to the truth that false teaching can't ultimately destroy the church of Christ. Spiritual leaders must warn others, they must be diligent workers, and they must walk away from error. Paul drives home these truths as he finishes by using an illustration regarding vessels in a great house. Uh, Paul describes a great house, which is the church, professing church, the foundation of that house is safe and secure, and God's seal is on it. In this house are vessels and utensils, um, some to honor and others to dishonor. There are true teachers of the word, and there are false teachers. The faithful pastor is like the gold or silver as he brings glory to the Lord, the head of the house. False teachers are like the wood and the clay. They will not survive the fires of judgment. Again, Paul is admonishing Timothy, separate yourself from the false teaching that's around, and God will honor him as he uses him in his service. Timothy is warned to flee youthful lust, uh, women, ego, pride, and pursue righteousness. God uses clean vessels, people who honor him with obedience as their lifestyle. Timothy is warned again to avoid useless arguments. The servant of Christ must not be quarrelsome but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, 
having been held captive by him to do his will. Paul closes this chapter admonishing Timothy to avoid strife um, without ignoring people. Don't fight and argue. Don't get sucked into that. Be gentle. Teach the word of God in humility. Even those who might oppose Timothy, he is to be kind to in hopes that God may grant them repentance. Satan's behind error, but people can be salvaged from tactics that he's used, and they can come to their spiritual senses, escaping Satan's trap. In other words, Timothy, be a model and lead by your example. I hope that you pray for your spiritual leaders in your church. They are continually under attack from so many different directions, and their task is exhausting and requires a great deal of discipline and hard work. So join the team of those who you are a part of the church in serving, uh, making their task easier by carrying on the work with them and praying with your support. And all of us, uh, all rather all the discipline that's required by pastors is to be the discipline in every one of our lives. This is not for some other group of people. This is the thing expected for each of us. I want you to leave here today. You can remember three things to think about. Am I committed like a soldier? Am I disciplined like an athlete? Am I hardworking like a farmer? In the way I'm going to spend the rest of this day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these important truths for every spiritual leader in every church and every one of us who are part of a church who are supposed to be following people, leading us in this way. I pray that we would have these disciplines, Lord, that you would be our, our absolute commander, that what we do today is because we know what your word says and we're going to obey it whether we feel like it or not. pray you'll help us to be disciplined in denying our flesh what we don't have to have to be happy that you are sufficient for us to have joy. And I pray that we would not bite into our culture's need to just have our own time and space and uh, overindulge our flesh. In Jesus' name.